Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. All right. As some of you may know, um, I had a bit of a, an owie last week at the picnic, and my wife instructed me to give this disclaimer that if the message really stinks today, it's because I had a concussion last week, and forgot how to preach. So we'll just throw that out there as fine print. Thank you for your concerns and uh, for your prayers. I, I just I feel pretty good. I think I just have to take it easy. The doctor said about a month without sports. My wife said about six years without sports. So we'll figure out where we're going to land on that issue very soon. Today, we're going to resume our series in First Peter in earnest. And we started it last year, and we took a calculated, purposeful sidetrack for a while to look at other things, and we're returning to First Peter. And Pastor Frank did a good job of recapping some of the key themes we've already looked at. Today we pick up on a, a new series, and what we've done is taken the book of First Peter under the broad theme of living faithfully for Christ in a world that doesn't acknowledge Christ. That's really the broad theme, and hanging on to our hope through that journey. And we've divided the book into mini-series so that you, you can, you know, for those of us with short attention spans, we can follow what Peter's really saying in thought units. This next thought unit is what we would entitle R-E-S-P-E-C-T. It's all about respect and about how that should be one of the hallmark characteristics of those who follow Christ is that we ought to be people who are respectful in a number of contexts. We should not be disrespectful people. Maybe saying it that way paints a bit more of a vivid picture for what it is that we Christians ought to be exuding. Now, I don't assume that everyone in this room is a Christian. And if, if that's the case, then I hope you're looking at those around you who claim to follow Christ, and you would even hold them to the standard. If you are a follower of Jesus, you need to be a respectful person. And today, the first context we're going to look at is respect for those who are in authority over us in government. All right, And so the text we're going to read together today is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. I'm going to read out of the ESV. We're going to flash it on the screen there and just follow along with me. Listen to what the Word of God says. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. I don't have a whole lot of time, so I want to just launch right into a walking exposition of this book. And I've I've forgotten that I have this little clicker here, so I'll uh, try to drive this thing from up here. Actually, it works pretty good. The first thing we notice about this passage is that the very first key verb is submit. And right there, that's a pretty difficult word for us Americans, isn't it? I mean, it's all bit but been removed from standard wedding vows all over this country. This culture in America trains us to have a serious issue with authority, doesn't it? In fact, think about all the action movie stars, and they all are people who do not play well with others. 
They don't work in teams. They don't wait for backup. They don't call for their teammates to get there. They are lone rangers. And our whole culture glorifies this idea of people who have issues with authority. And so as a result of the culture we're growing up in, it wouldn't surprise me if a number of us also have some lingering issues with authority, maybe some mistrust or just this built-in rebellious streak. And maybe that expresses itself in your life as a natural nonconformist tendency. Whatever everybody else is doing, you just won't do it. Even if you're dying to do it, you just won't. Everybody's doing this, but no way I'm going to get an iPod because that's such a sellout thing to do. Yet you desperately, desperately want to have an iPod. I, I know how that can be. And so when we read a word like submit, something already in the American psyche is chafing, right? Just chafing, saying, I don't like the way that sounds. That word in the Greek really is a word that literally means place yourself under the authority of someone else. It is an intentional choice. It is given as a command because you have the freedom and option to do exactly the opposite of that. And so the command is, to all these authorities, you are to voluntarily submit yourself to them. It makes no mention of whether you like or agree with those in authority. And that's the really troubling part about this passage for me, is it doesn't qualify it by saying, if the person in charge is a Democrat, wholeheartedly submit. Or if the person in charge is a Republican, wholeheartedly submit. If they're pro-life, pro-choice, believe in global warming or have nothing to do with green, they don't even wear green clothes, you know. It, it doesn't even matter what kind of leaders we're talking about. If by some chance in this world they have authority, at some level what God is saying to us is, the posture of the follower of Jesus Christ is one of submission to authority. That's a radical teaching. And if you're bored hearing that, you're not paying attention. This is applicable to you and me. And something in us ought to have a problem with this until we've wrestled it through. Don't you see that? Submit yourself to all these different authorities. I hope you keep that in mind if your man does not win the election this November. Because whether you like the person sitting in the Oval Office or not, you are called to submit as a follower of Jesus Christ to the appointed authority over the land. That is not an option based on your political leanings, but a commandment that is a direct expression of your respect for God himself. Now, how on earth can Peter, with a straight face, give us such a radical teaching? Because the truth is, unless he also gives us the reason how we can do it, what source of power am I going to draw on? Because what he's just told us to do sounds virtually impossible for me to accept unless I get a little more on this story. And I think the key to it unfolds as the verse unfolds. It says, do this for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. In other words, our respect and submission for the authorities that are in place don't have very much to do with the inherent qualities of those people, but it has to do with God himself, who is the author of all authority. Here's what I believe, and here's what I think the Bible teaches. That only God has the right to claim authority in and of himself. It is only God who has the right to say, I'm the boss, and that's the end of that story. For every other authority figure on this earth, authority is derivative, meaning it must be assigned to them, given to them. 
And you may think for a moment that there are lots of historical exceptions to that rule. But I tell you, even those who grab power for themselves, when God is done with them, they are done. And quite often, because they do not uphold the virtues of God, they are overthrown by the very people they've been oppressing. Every kingdom that has ever been great has passed away. And every kingdom that thinks it is great today, including the United States of America, is a temporary entity on the surface of this planet. We Americans feel so insulated in our permanent status as the top of the food chain in the world. And I'm not one of those people who is poo-pooing on America. I love this country. I'm proud to be an American. But we are smoking something serious if we think we are going to be different from Great Britain and from Rome and every other great empire. And I, you may not like the, my, my use of that word for America, but that's really what we are. We are the prevailing power in this world order for now. But there is only one kingdom that's going to endure. And it is not the one that flies the stars and stripes. And what God is saying is because governments and empires come and go, make this issue not one of the merits of that government, but of your respect for and submission to the authority of the one true living God who is seated on the throne and will never go away. His kingdom will endure and you best believe he is in charge here. And if you acknowledge his lordship over all things, then you must accept your, your call to submit to government, not because government deserves it, but because God has the authority to expect it of us. It is for the Lord's sake, because God himself, through his plan and permission, grants authority to the leaders of this world for his purposes. It is our calling as his followers to submit to that. I think that's the teaching of Romans 13, 1 to 2. Look at what it says. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, I know some of you quick thinkers are rattling through your knowledge of history as limited as it probably is for Americans, right? We're trying to go through our history thinking of exceptions to that rule, but the Bible does not lie and it does not stutter. It says, for better or for worse, every authority on earth has been raised up under the supervision of a God who is in control of all things. And as a result, he has the right to tell you and me, as his followers, Submit to that authority, for in that submission is the working out of some plan or purpose which God has. Now, if you're not already bothered enough, we're going to kick it up another notch. And that's not my fault, it's Peter's. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and wrote some things that are actually the word of God. And so our problem right now is with what God is saying, isn't it? Listen to what he says next. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to what? To every authority instituted among men. I don't know why God's got to be so thorough, but when he says something, he just he kind of qualifies by saying, and I mean in everything. Listen to what that says there. Every authority instituted among men. I believe at the most obvious level, this applies to government, right? To, to kings and governors and, and to congressmen and whatever. But I believe that the language here is unmistakably expansive. It takes it far beyond just government to say 
in all of life at every level, both public and private, in your life and mine, there are authority structures, aren't there? And what he says is the posture of every follower of Christ is wherever you discern those authority structures, let it be known to all around you that the followers of Christ willingly submit because they have reverence for the God who is the author and originator of all authority. This is, this is what we're talking about. If that's a little too abstract for you, listen to what it says. The only exception to this call to, to submit to authority is when they directly command you to sin against God. Do you hear that? Now, for, for you thinkers out there, I know that was one of the, the sort of parenthetical clauses that was bothering you. What if they tell us to do what is wrong? Obviously, if you're living under Hitler's Germany and he says, kill that Jew over there, you cannot comply with that under the, the, uh, the authority of this scripture. Because the authority of manly or human um, authorities or governments ceases where they directly call us to sin against God. But it is actually a pretty rare thing that a government or an authority figure directly commands us to sin against God. More often than not, it's that we don't like their politics. We don't agree with their proposed solutions to a problem we all agree is difficult. And so as a result, because of preferential or perspectival differences, we check out and we withdraw our submission from leaders who are called and raised by God to get a job done. Even though God has instituted legitimate means for us to change things, we sort of do it in a rebellious way, and that is not right for the followers of Jesus Christ. Every authority is given to bring order to the world, and we need to respect it. That includes the crossing guard, who's waving a cardboard handheld stop sign in your face and has the power to stop your two-ton vehicle, just like that. One time I had a little, you know, foot spasm and I was in front of our school and I kind of just wanted to ease up the pressure on my leg and my car lurched forward like a two inches and boy, that crossing guard could have killed me with her eyes. She, said, hmm. she took her weapon or lightsaber like that and, and I, I was getting a little annoyed like, take it easy, crossing guard. You're no cop. I don't have to do what you say. And something in me was just so ugly there because she does have authority and she has it for a very important reason. She does not want any of those kids to end up underneath my car. That's important. It applies to the librarian who's officiously shushing you in the library. You're like, yeah, whatever, Grandma. No, I'm not going to do that. You know, and I know that disrespectful American tone that we have. We grew up with the seeing it glorified in the movies. Shut up. I'm, I can talk if I want to. No, you can't. She's a boss in that library. It needs to be quiet for library work to get done. And you do not single-mindedly, single-handedly have the right to upheave that entire system because you don't recognize that authority. People will do it, but the followers of Jesus must not be among them. I can go on with lots of examples. The professor who tells you a paper is due on such and such a date, and strange enough, expects you to hand it in on that actual date. How many of us see those deadlines as like suggestions? I try to get it in on, you know who are the worst? Seminarians. You know where you learn to negotiate? is in seminary. Listen, professor, you don't understand. Church is so busy, and oh, I just had a kid, and blah, blah, blah. The excuses are numerous, and we pastors learn how to wiggle out of things. It's the community group leader who says, would everyone please email me back volunteering a dish for our next potluck, and nobody writes back at all. 
Maybe it's the older sibling telling you, you really need to drop in on mom and dad a little more often than you do. And you're like, shut up, you're not the boss of me. Well, maybe they should be. Because they're telling you something which that inner voice ought to already be telling you. And we have this, and I could go on all day. I I had a million, and I whittled it down to a few. But listen, our lives are filled with situations where God has raised up an authority in our lives, and there's something deep within us that wants to just shuck that away and just go, forget it. I'm not going to do what you tell me because I'm free as a bird now. It is in the name of Jesus Christ and because we respect him that we obey this scripture and in every authority instituted in our lives, did you catch that? Every authority, we submit to it unless it directly calls us to sin because God is using those authority structures to bring order to his world because he has plans in this world that require that order. Listen to what else he says. He really gets them heated up when he says, and whether it is to the king as the supreme authority. Now, we read that and whatever because we don't have kings, but do you realize who was the king, the emperor of the known world at the time Peter is writing this? He's none other than the infamous Nero of Rome. And Nero was a bad, bad man. If you don't know your history, I'll tell you, there were very few people as ugly and vile as Nero who lived on this earth. He was a bit chemically imbalanced, a little unstable, you know, up here in the the, the top floor, if you know what I mean. And he was accused of... So in, in July of 64 AD, all Rome burned in a great fire that started in the Circus Maximus and just spread all over the city. And, and people lost their homes and their businesses. There was chaos. And every, uh, uh, not everyone, but a great number of historians believed that Nero was himself the most likely arsonist. Partly because he was frustrated in his campaign to get a rebuilding project done in Rome. So he figured, why not burn it and then we'll have to rebuild He's a crazy guy. He took extreme measures. And so people were starting to mumble in the streets, Nero burned Rome, and then he sang songs in the street while it burned. He didn't play the fiddle because there was no such thing, but he was accused of singing songs in the streets while his own city burned. Now, things started getting hot under the collar of Rome because all the eyes were on him. So what did he do? Well, he killed two birds with one stone because there was this group of people, a new religious sect called the Christians. And everybody was saying, these guys are trouble for the Roman Empire. They keep talking about another king besides you, Nero, and we've got to do something about them. And so he began to shift all the blame for the fire to the Christians. Many Christians were rounded up and after great torture had given up the names of other Christians in the city until very soon a a massive systematic persecution of Christians was underway in the city. Many of them were dressed up in the, the freshly skinned hides of wild animals dripping with the scent of blood and lanolin and they were thrown into pits with wild dogs to be torn apart for sport while citizens watched and took bets on which one would last the longest. You think UFC is bad. I want you to know there were people in the civilized world who thought that was entertainment once. And we're, we're, getting, we're slipping down that slope very quickly, aren't we, in our own country? Some of them were crucified. Others, if you can imagine this, look at this twisted little bit of logic. The Christians burned Rome, he reasoned, and left us in darkness, so let's light up the night with their bodies. 
And so he took many Christians, had them dipped in pitch, impaled upon stakes, raised up along the street side, and lit as human candles to burn throughout the night and provide light on the streets. He even had garden parties where Christians being burned alive served as the illumination for the festivities. I want you to think about the darkness of such a man. And this man could do it because the emperor in that day had unquestioned authority, didn't he? And I want you to think about these Christians to whom Peter is writing, who are scattered all over the realm precisely because they were running away from this crazy persecutor, this killer of Christians. And this Peter writes to them, I want you to submit even to the king as a supreme authority. These are not neutral words for the people first reading this letter. I imagine the guy reading it in the assembly dropped it. There were people in that that little gathering when it was being read who probably had mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles who were killed by Nero and they vividly remember the smell of their burning flesh. How do you hear something like that? Do you know that Peter himself, tradition holds, was put to death at the order of Nero in Rome? Peter, who in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was being arrested, drew his sword in rash anger and cut off the ear of Malchus, the servant. Do you remember that story? This rash Peter who thought the only way to establish his kingdom was to fight for it. This same Peter, watching the meekness with which Jesus goes to the cross, sees another way to show power. It is through meekness and submission that Christ demonstrated the greatest power ever demonstrated on the earth. And he learned that lesson well, so that eventually at the end of a fruitful life of ministry, when he was arrested for his faith and put up on charges and was put to death, he did not resist arrest. It cost him his own life to obey this scripture which he was writing on God's behalf. He died a martyr's death in Rome at the hands of a wicked king who should never have been in power. And any secular observer, in fact, anyone looking at that story would have chalked it up this way on the scoreboard. Nero, thousands. Christians, zero. That's what the scoreboard would have looked like to a human being. But what did the scoreboard look like to God? I have this question to ask you. Where are the followers of Nero today? And where is Rome and what is Rome except a glorious vacation destination famous for its old, decrepit buildings? I'm sorry, I know some of you are going to Rome soon. It's beautiful. But you don't need to be afraid of the Romans anymore, do you? Right? Who shudders at the mention of Rome today? Even in the last century, people quaked at the thought that the British Empire might come against you. Now what do you think of the British Empire? I've mentioned that before, haven't I? You think of funny accents and bad teeth and the underground subway system. What do you really think about? Do you realize that while on the surface it looks like through our submission the world wins, yet today the outposts of the kingdom of Christ dot the countryside and the cityscapes of almost every nation on this earth 2,000 years after he walked the earth, there are millions and millions of those who, who call him Lord and King of Kings, faithfully worshiping in buildings just like this all over the world, even in places like China, where it is publicly illegal to worship Christ in the manner that we do here. 
There is an estimated 130 million followers of Jesus flourishing in that place where they're not even allowed to do it. And I ask you, who is winning? Where is Nero and where is Rome? And where is Christ today? The leader of a kingdom built on submission because God, the great king, is marching forward and he is in control. And more often than not, it is through the stories of our submission that the ugly, wicked sin of evil rulers is exposed to the world for what it is. And glorious stories are written in history of devotion and courage and nobility under persecution. I wonder if Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life story would have been nearly as glorifying to God had the persecution against the Jews in Germany not arisen when it did. He was one of the lone voices of courage saying that God hates what is happening here and he will stand for God and for the Jews who are being persecuted. What an amazing story and submission. He quietly went to prison and he died just days before liberation of that camp. And to this day, People write and admire the story of God's power through the life of this man who did not gain his fame by picking up a sword and fighting, but by submitting himself because he submitted himself ultimately to God. It says here that it's not just the kings that are in charge, but it's governors who, who basically have this function that we can ascribe to most government in the normal state. They punish people who do wrong, and they commend people who do right. Now, you might think that doesn't sound very much like any government you know, and that might be because you're a bit cynical and jaded, but the truth is most governments, this is their basic and normal function, is to block the actions of those who do what is wrong and to commend the actions of those who do what is right. In fact, God uses governments not to save the world, but to create enough order that his plan will march forward. That's exactly the way that the Roman government, without even realizing it, was used by God to propagate the gospel. There was a wonderful period in history called the Pax Romana. That's, that's Latin for the Roman peace. It is the, stable, the stability of the world at the time that Rome was strongest because no one would go against Rome. There was one power, one language, one economy in the world, and as a result of it, lots of, lots of unstable parts of the world had become stable and united under those unified systems. As a result of that stability, as short-lived as it was, the gospel was able to move and spread like wildfire throughout the region. If that region had been in turmoil and war, we wonder if the gospel could have moved forward as quickly as it did in order to get established in the ancient world. And that's the way that God really uses governments, isn't it? He <clears throat> uses them to acknowledge what is good and to block what is evil. And because that is one of their functions, we need to be praying for them. In fact, listen to what Paul wrote to his spiritual son, Timothy. Do you know that Paul the Apostle also lost his life at the hands of Nero in the city of Rome? <clears throat> and listen to what the other martyr under Nero's authority had to say. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, he writes, I urge you, let me see, if, do I have it? There it is. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people as you make your requests. Plead for God's mercy upon them and give thanks. Pray this way for kings and all others who are in authority so that we can live in peace and quietness, in godliness and dignity. 
This is good and pleases God our Savior, for he wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. And it is in verses 3 and 4 I see the crux of this. We are to submit to and pray for those who run the governments of this world because in the order that they establish, God's real agenda of saving lost humanity continues to move forward. Do you notice that we are building a church and talking about outreach and benevolence funds because we are not busy shooting guns at enemies trying to kill us? We are not ducking for cover behind the secret police who are looking to find out who we are. It is in the relative peace of America that the church also has moved forward in great leaps and advances to move the kingdom of God forward. And so we need to remember that's one of the functions of government. <clears throat> now I have a, I have a, a little bit of, of application I want to go over with you. So I'm going to skip a couple things here and move right to how this applies in our actual lives. Okay, How this applies in our actual lives. And the first practical implication I see here is we need to be respectful. What happened to the L there? Sorry. Even in dissent. Okay? We need to be respectful even in dissent. I'm going to show you a series of pictures, and I want you to tell me what you think about them. Now, if you're anti-Bush, I have just made your week, haven't I? You know, I don't like those pictures. And it's not because of my political leanings. In fact, I didn't Photoshop those myself. Those are the results of one quick Google search for the words Bush and monkey. And I was astounded at how many thousands of results that pulled up. You know, it's one thing to disagree with a person. But the way, we disre- the way we disagree, the way we dissent with somebody is a reflection of the God we serve and the values that uphold our lives. And I want you as followers of Jesus Christ to understand that principle very well. Even in disagreement and, dis- and protest, we must do it in a way that is consistent with the character and beauty and nobility of the God we serve. You know who that is? I have spent hundreds of hours of my life listening to that man, and I simply cannot stomach him anymore. And the surprising thing is that some of my, my political views agree with his. You know, this guy, I, I laugh at some of the stuff he says. I don't like him either. I think both these guys, in my opinion, represent something that I don't like that's happening in this country. Yes, there is a place for a little sarcasm, but they have made it the only language they speak. Raw, bitter, sarcastic, acerbic, disrespectful, arrogant. I don't know how Rush Limbaugh walks in through a door anymore. His head is so big. And Bill Maher, though he's a little more self-effacing, I think he's just as proud as, as Limbaugh. He just plays for the other team. And these are just two leading examples. The world is full of polarizing, irritating figures who should not model for the followers of Christ how to voice dissent. You might agree with the guy on either side of that picture. I'm not telling you that there's one Christian politics to have. 
I'm not even going to tell you exactly where my politics are because that's being decided on a daily basis. I'm no longer oriented around which team I bat for, but issue by issue, conviction by conviction, I'm trying to figure out who God is raising up in this country. And I, the reason I don't like men like this doing what they're doing is because they create a level of discourse that does not help us really communicate. And it's certainly not the model that followers of Christ should take after. You might share their views, but you better say them in a way that is consistent with the character of God. For a long time, when it was uh, said that, that one particular candidate might run for office and get the party's nomination, I said to a lot of people at this church, if that happens, I'm moving to Canada. I repent for that statement and for that attitude. I don't think it pleased God. I think it was unnecessarily strong because God has given us extraordinary freedom in this country to change things we don't like in government. And I hope you weren't offended by me when I said that because I think it was too strong a statement. I'm entitled to that opinion and I I will fight for, for the freedom to say it. But man, as followers of Christ, there's an order over us bigger than the Constitution. It is a call to be like Jesus Christ. And I hope that we'll remember that even when we're voicing some disagreement with somebody in power. There's another one. This is a good pastoral trick. I snuck in three into one, but uh, I think they're related. Get informed, impassioned, and involved. You know why I say that? Because what Peter writes here is submit yourself to every authority, especially the government. And I tell you, that submission is a command because it is a choice. The submission which Peter has in view is an intentional choice made by free men and women because we see ourselves as slaves to God. So it is not this kind of apathetic, ignorant, spineless submission. This is what I want to point out to you. Submission is not ignorance. That's why I tell you to get informed. We don't just say, "Uh, I'll just do whatever the government says because I didn't got the time to figure out all this confusing stuff about Medicare and, and immigration rights and all that. Some of us, we haven't watched a full news story in 10 years, have we? Some of you may not even know who's the, who are the two candidates for president of the United States. Or if I showed you pictures, couldn't name them. You know, I think it's a serious problem when we check out of the process because we're too lazy to know what's happening. I, do, I think it's incumbent on the followers of Jesus to be informed because our submission must be an informed submission, not just one that is passive ignorance. Do you know who the current Secretary of Defense is? We are at war in two fronts right now. Do you realize that? Our country is at war in two countries. So the Secretary of Defense is arguably the most important cabinet member we have. Raise your hand if you know who is making those military decisions right now. Would you just raise your hand, please? If you raise your hand, I may ask you to stand up and name that person. So this is like, are you smarter than a fifth grader? You think you know, but when your public humiliation is on the line... So we had three brave people kind of raise their hands until I said that last thing. That's okay. Until about a month ago, I didn't know either. (laughs) It's this man, Robert Gates, Secretary of Defense. Don't feel too bad. 80% of your fellow Americans had no clue who he was either. And I think that disturbs me a little bit. That we have so many opinions about the war and don't even know who in our government is running the show. 
Do you realize how disingenuous some of our protests and our, our caustic remarks might be when we don't even know a simple fact like that because we are dwelling in ignorance that is the result, really, of laziness, I think. It only takes 15 minutes a day to scan the news sites and just get a little bit better informed. Submission is also not apathy. We just go, I don't care about the government. As long as I'm getting a paycheck, as long as my wife will sleep with me, as long as my kids are getting good grades, as long as I have food on the table, let somebody else, let the wonks and the pundits and the eggheads in Washington worry about policy. Who cares? You try to listen to Rush Limbaugh for about five minutes and you're bored not because of his attitude, but because you don't care about anything he's talking about, right? Some of us are in that camp and I'm telling you that is not right for the followers of Jesus. Can you legitimately submit to a government that you're apathetic about? Can you check out and not care about things that God cares about? Can you be dispassionate about the very world which God calls you and me to transform in his name? Apathy has no place in the Christian experience. And if that is where you are in terms of your relationship to the government, it is something which God wants you to do away with today in, a, in obe- obedience to him. Submission, as God pictures it, is not apathy. And I've met plenty of people who are submissive because they just don't care. Whatever. Whatever, dude. They want us to, all right, whatever. I just don't care. Third thing that submission is not. It's not spinelessness. That's why we need to get involved. We're not submissive because we're too scared to do anything. We're submissive because we acknowledge God's authority. But every government that has ever reigned has needed at times to be reined in and checked and challenged by its followers. And in America, unlike ancient Rome, we have unprecedented freedom to voice and change those things we don't like. Are you involved? Now... I toyed with the idea of doing this as an open eyes, raising hands thing, but I I don't think many of you would come back to this church if I did that. But in your hearts, just in your hearts, and maybe I'll I'll be watching carefully for the flutter of, of, of eyelids or something. How many of you voted in the last elections? Yeah, you know, I know at least one person in my community who didn't. <laughs> and I know somebody who did. Because the uh, voter registration cards happen to be on top of and beneath mine in our district. So I'm spying on them every year. I know I shouldn't do that. But, you know, the truth is we can vote so freely and we can't even be bothered to do that. How will we stand up then when the Hitlers of the world rise up in our own nation? You think that's not possible? You really think that's... Some, some people are arguing, we already have him in the White House now. Oh, get over yourself. Hitler's a bad man, and that kind of bad man can still arise in the United States of America. And I ask you, if we're too lazy to stink and vote, when the governments over us really need to be challenged, who will do it? The impassioned, non-voting public of the apathetic states of America? Is that who? If you can't even punch a chad... How are you going to punch out a president who needs to be reined in? Are you hearing me? You need to get involved in the process. My friend Jimmy Lee is running for Congress in the southwest suburbs. I hope he wins. And I'm proud of any Christian 
who would tackle that thing, that challenge, and say, I will have a voice in Washington for those who stand for what is morally right. I'm not talking about legislating morality or shoving our religion down people's throats. I'm talking about representing the living God in the systems of government and doing what is right in this country. How about you? Are you going to get involved in the process? And lastly, in this last slide, for some of you, if you're sensitive, it's going to bother you, but I, I chose it intentionally. Steward your responsibility for God's reputation. I was dismayed to find that photo online, and it was not a staged photo. It was a real photo. There were some, and I I don't mind saying it this way, there are some Christians out there who have really lost their way and become confused. And the woman holding up that hateful and ugly sign, which is as theologically wrong as you can imagine, is smiling and self-assuredness in that photograph. I don't know how a Christian holds up a sign like that smiling. I don't know how it is that a faction of our brothers and sisters can be so irresponsible with the reputation of a loving God that they find that's something they can legitimately say and do in public. Now, don't interpret that to mean I somehow think homosexuality is okay with God. That's a topic for another sermon, and I'll duke that out with the best of you, all right? I mean, we will talk about it at length. But that is wrong. And this powerful God has taken a huge risk in entrusting his reputation to our conduct. And we need to steward that responsibility with utmost care. What you choose to do in public and private life eventually cannot stay hidden. What you and I do will echo throughout the world because people are listening and watching. And they're watching and what we do reflects not only on us, but on the God who stands behind and in front of us. And I hope that we as a church, in whatever we do in the public arena, will steward the responsibility to take good care of God's reputation. And whatever we do, for whatever motive, we will do it in a way that would make Jesus proud of us. That would allow a watching world to glimpse the beauty and the holiness and compassion of God, even as we are upholding His justice and his holiness and righteousness at the same time. We have something to say about homosexuality, but it is most definitely not that. And I hope you all understand, this is not an optional thing for you. Whether you like it or not, you are stewarding the the reputation of our God every single day. Would you please join me in trying hard to remember that? I forget every single day. I mean, just yesterday... Some very frustrating traffic situation happened, and I think that carried throughout the whole day. And driving home from a wedding reception, we were stuck behind somebody who didn't realize that green lights mean you can actually go. My children were still awake, and I was getting pretty sarcastic, yelling about this person's IQ. And I realized just how wrong I was to do that, not just because my children were watching, but because that's the vocalization of something ugly in me that has very little to do with Jesus Christ. Factually, there is no no disagreement that person was not being a very good driver. In fact, I think I'm safe in saying they were a pretty rotten driver. They required my horn to remind them to be a better driver. But what I said about them, and even worse, what I thought about them in my heart, 
did not steward well the reputation of the God whose flag I fly over my household, my church, my life. We cannot justify unchristlike behavior or Christ-like motivations. And I hope you will remember that each one of us every day spreads the name of God for better or worse. And we are to steward that responsibility with great humility. And one of the ways we will do that is in the way that we respond for the Lord's sake to every authority structure that he has raised up in our public and private lives so that his work will be unimpeded, often through our meekness and submission. I acknowledge that that's not an easy thing for us to hear as Americans and as capable, by and large, educated, accomplished people. But it is the word of God for us today. And we are not left with any options about whether we will agree with that or submit to that or not. This is the word of God, and we are the people of God. And hope your primary battle will not just be on whether you can like what God said, but whether you can bow your knee to the one person in this universe who has the right to say such things to you and me. I'll close with a paraphrase that Eugene Peterson beautifully gave us in his, in his book, The Message, which is his free-flowing paraphrase of the entire Bible. And listen to how he says it, and this is how we'll end. Make the master proud of you by being good citizens. Respect the authorities, whatever their level. They are God's emissaries for keeping order. It is God's will that by doing good, you might cure the ignorance of the fools who think you're a danger to society. Exercise your freedom by serving God, not by breaking the rules. Treat everyone you meet with dignity. Love your spiritual family. Revere God. Respect the government. Amen. It's not the most touchy-feely sermon you're going to hear at this church, but I think it matters, and it's very important where we land on this issue. Would you bow with me in a quick prayer of response here? And we're going to invite the praise team to come up. They're going to lead us in the first song we sang this morning. It's a repeat, but I think the the Spirit was really powerfully moving and reminding us that God alone is the one whose kingdom will endure. Governments will come and go. It is God's authority which ultimately we acknowledge as followers of Christ. Now, I don't know what part of those applications especially are meant for you to hear today. But maybe you're guilty of a very, uh, what's the word I want to use? Very acidic form of verbal protest. You have nothing respectful to say about the other side, and you see the world as my team and their team, and you become part of the Bill Maher, Al Franken camp, or the Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity camp, and you only see the world in terms of teams. And the way you've come to say things in public discourse is so arrogant and disrespectful. As a result, you're not being heard by anybody. Maybe that's what you need to hear, is that the way Christians dialogue should be different and should be Christ-like. Maybe it's that you've just checked out of the whole process. That you're submissive, but not in the biblical way, as free men and women who are showing strength but you're just uninformed and unimpassioned and uninvolved. And if so, God has something to say to you this morning about that.
What is it that God is really saying to you this morning? Maybe it's just that you've forgotten that every day, God's reputation is being elevated or brought down because of our choices day by day. Let's steward that reputation carefully and with respect. I'm going to leave it to you to respond to the Lord for a minute or two in silence the way God is leading you. And then we're going to sing this last song and dismiss for the day. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.